Capera Publishing presents Godsend Agenda, a super-powered role-playing game for the D6 system. Godsend Agenda is a story of Powerful aliens who positioned themselves as gods on Earth thousands of years ago. A race of Atlantean oracles who foresaw a desolate future dominated by an incomprehensible alien race. Genetically augmented transhumans doomed to die fighting to save a world that turns its back on them. A star-spanning alien blight that slowly and insidiously conquers planet after planet. And the slim yet powerful hope of man's eventual triumph over them all. The Godsend Agenda is not your typical game of costumes and superpowers. It looks at superhumans and how they affect the world around them. It also deals with how our culture worships them, now and in times past. Godsend Agenda offers players chances to not only interact with those legendary celestial beings, but to walk among them as equals. Over 200 pages of extensive history and character background set in the world of the Godsend Agenda. Over 30 pre-constructed artifacts and gadgets ranging from Excalibur to Angelos power armor. Six thoroughly explored factions and alien races. Over 80 ready-to-play NPCs. An all-encompassing list of superhuman abilities and powers to make your character truly extraordinary. Completely compatible with all D6 titles printed to date, making the game world infinitely expandable. www.godsendagenda.com No one holds command over me. No man, no god, no prince. What is a claim of age for ones who are immortal? What is a claim of power for ones who defy death? Call your den or hunt. We shall see who I drag along to listen to this show, part of the Goblin Broadcast Network at GBNCom.com. Follow the Path, the Bears Grove Podcast. Adult-level discussion of role-playing as a storytelling art at bearsgrove.com. Welcome to the Bears Grove Podcast for Monday, April 9th, 2007. My name is Sam Chupp. I welcome you. I appreciate you downloading the Bears Grove and listening to it. This is Bears Grove number 30. Today on the program, we're going to talk about one-shot game scenarios. And later on, we're going to explore a bit about the urban fantasy genre, and I'm going to offer you some tips as to how you might construct stories in that particular genre. After that, we'll have some feedback, but first, some news and notes. Okay, guys, roll to hit the vampire gazebo. Uh, you hit. Hey, guys, what are you doing? Role-playing? Oh, no, it's that guy. Uh, no, we're not doing anything. We're just, uh, watching TV. Aw, that's too bad, because I brought along my new gaming girlfriend. Hello, boys. Mind if I max out on charisma? Whoa! Hey, did you get that hot gaming girlfriend from listening to Gamer the Podcasting? Yeah, of course! Gamer the Podcasting does not actually get you a hot gamer girlfriend. What it actually does is give you useful advice on tabletop role-playing, live-action role-playing, and all other forms of role-playing games. Sometimes we talk about other games. We can do whatever we want. It's our own podcast. Visit us on the web at www.gamerthepodcasting.com. There have been a number of new podcasts added to the Goblin Broadcast Network. I encourage you to go over to gbncom.com and check out all of the new podcasts, including things like the Game Master's Show, The Gamer Traveler, uh, Villain Talk, The Basics of the Game, and many more. Also on the web, 
there is a website called Twitter. And if you'd like to connect with your some of your favorite role-playing game podcasters, this might be a good place. If you'd like to know more, go to twitter.com. And all of the role-playing game podcasters, at least most of them, are on a website called rpgpodcasters.tumblr. That's T-U-M-B-L-R dot com. It's the sort of thing you have to see to understand, so go ahead and just check it out when you have time. I'm celebrating my 31st anniversary of being a gamer, and I'm really excited. I spent uh, some time this weekend gaming, playing uh, the Raven Flight game with my partner Cynthia, and we had a great time. You know, the more I game with Cynthia, the more I realize what kind of special thing we have, and it's a lot of fun. Moving right along, we have our Game Master's Corner on one-shot scenarios. Greetings, my young Game Master Apprentice. Apprentice? Who, me? No, man, I'm just a player. Not even a very good player. Really, I couldn't possibly... Nonsense. I sense the power of the art deep within you. Prepare to receive a psychic download of my gaming wisdom and skills. Art? Power? No, not me, sir. No, sir. That's... that's indigestion. I've never even read the Dungeon Master's Guide, I promise. Master, it may be that he's not quite ready for a psychic download of all your wisdom. What's that, minion? Not ready? Why, when I was an apprentice, nobody cared whether I was ready or not. Confound it? And the books we had to contend with. 600 pages of teeny tiny type, with no indices. And then there was page XX. Still, Master, it may be easier if the apprentice was allowed some alternative method of learning how to be a good Game Master first. Well, Minion, what do you suggest? How about the Game Master Show podcast, Great Overlord of Dungeons? It's chock full of advice and actual play sessions that are sure to teach anyone, even this lowly apprentice, how to best run games. I suppose that sounds okay. It doesn't have an index, does it? Oh no, sir. You have to listen to the whole thing. It's quite rigorous, I assure you. Excellent. Very well, apprentice. Go forth and listen to this Game Master Show thingy, and when you're done, return to me, and I will build upon your excellent knowledge. Does that mean I can go now? Not before visiting thegamemastershow.com and subscribing. Don't forget, they're available on iTunes and on the Goblin Broadcast Network at gbncom.com. Gee, thanks, Minion. See ya! Now, where were we? Oh, yes. Roll to hit the vampire gazebo. So, one-shot scenarios. Well, what is that? What are they like? What is the point behind a one-shot scenario? Well, let me just give you some basics about why you might want to create one. Number one, many conventions have ample opportunity for one-shot scenarios, and indeed... A large portion of my experience 
with one-shot scenarios comes from my role-playing convention experience. However, they're also good for introducing role-playing to people who've never role-played. In addition, they can be very good for creating interest in a game that other people have never played. Now, I know there's a lot of folks out there who have gamer friends who've only played one type of game their entire life. And a one-shot is one of those really low-commitment kind of things that you can explain, hey, look, this is just one shot. It's a one-game kind of thing. And if you don't like it after this, you never have to play it again. But just give it a chance. Like, give it four hours of your time or six hours of your time And it might be cool. There are so many games out there right now that are so cool that I have, in my mind, divided the hobby of role-playing up into two sections. There's collecting game books and actually playing. Plus, I guess on the third, there's a third section, which is designing games, but we won't get into that tonight. Ultimately... There are so many games out there that it would be impossible to play regular campaigns of them all, even if you had nothing else to do with your life but play games. I know this because when I was in college, that's all I did, you know, pretty much, is eat, sleep, game, and occasionally I had the bother of having to go to class. Needless to say, I didn't finish college This is why. But I did make up for it by going ahead and getting involved with White Wolf. At any rate, suffice it to say, you know, that's not the best plan, but I did a lot of gaming and I played a lot of different kinds of games. But even when I had all the time I wanted to play games, I didn't have enough time to play all the games I wanted to. So one shots are great for that. They're great for trying out games that you probably will never play or have never played before or never play again. But it's fun. Okay, so I've convinced you that a one-shot game is a good idea. Now what? Well, you have to get a concept. And the best concepts for one-shot games can be pitched like a TV show. Okay? You say something in one sentence, like think about a blurb and TV guide and say in one sentence, this is what the game is about. Okay, I've just written a very brief blurb talking about the one-shot that I'm designing for you today. And the one-shot is entitled, To Dance Upon the Dawn. The coterie of the Purple Veil is well-respected in the dark nightlife of Atlanta, but the shade of a sabbat threat gives the Inquisition enough rope to hang one of the Coterie's beloved mentors, the Toreador Elder, Dr. Samuel Beckworth. When the Anarchs of Atlanta rise up in rebellion, the Coterie must somehow save their Elder from the hangman's noose at sunrise, or they may be next for the Inquisition's unholy flame. An old World of Darkness vampire tale of bloodlust and betrayal set in an atmosphere of urban riot and civil chaos. Okay, so let's break this down a little. 
there are a number of choices that I had to make to start out with to be able to create this one-shot scenario and to be able to encapsulate this blurb. First of all, I'm going to talk about who is going to be involved in the story. Who are the player characters? The Coterie of the Purple Veil is vague enough to be just about anything, but it will tell you right away that you're going to be playing characters who are all familiar with each other. In Vampire, if you understand Vampire, you'll know that a coterie is a group of vampires that, that hang out together and mutually respect and, and uh, help each other. So you can guess that when you get started, you're going to be part of a group of vampires who all are working together. That's important for you to know it, to evaluate whether you want to play. The second thing I talk about is the central sta- the central stakes. The central stakes for this game is the fact that the coteries one of the coteries favorite mentors, a Toriador, the Toriador elder Dr. Samuel Beckworth has been accused of being allied with the Sabbat. And as a result, the Inquisition, which is the Camarilla's main force to hunt down the Sabbat, um, have started to turn their attention towards him. And there are a lot of there's a lot of damning evidence that perhaps was placed in his possession. You know, you can you can infer a great deal as to what happens in that situation. So that gives you a motivation. Why are we working together? Well, we're a coterie and our favorite elder is in trouble. So we have to do something to save him, clear his name, at the same time, save ourselves. Because what happens is, um, you know, as we all know, you know, once, once the Inquisition gets started, they're going to be looking for everybody who might have anything to do with them, and they're kind of going to be next on the list. Okay, so the next part about this is the setting. I'm talking about Atlanta, so that sort of narrows it down a bit. Atlanta's a very big area, but, you know, at least then I can I can just basically say, okay, you know, you can infer from the fact that it's a Torridor elder that perhaps there's going to be some artwork involved, maybe an art museum, because that's what the Torridor are about. Um, you know, there's a couple of other things going on in this in this blurb. But ultimately, it's going to be set in Atlanta, and I talk about urban riot and civil chaos. And I talk about the Anarchs of Atlanta, that is to say, those unruly vampires that don't really respect either the Sabbat or the Camarilla, they just sort of do their own thing. So, um, and that could include the, the clan Bruja, although there's going to be, you know, as we know, Bruja are both... You know, some people call them Bruja. I call them Bruja. Bruja are both. You know, there's the there's the civilized kind and the wild kind, and so there's going to be some, you know, balancing there. But ultimately, there's a rebellion going on. There are riots. There's civil chaos, civil disorder, and so you can think in terms of okay, this is going to be like a disaster movie. Okay, um, chaos, noise, trouble, fights explosions, so on. So, 
there's already sort of a balance between this genteel side of the story and the chaos and the fighting and the noise and the, the war. Okay, so why is this important? Well, it tells you immediately what you're going to be in for. Because I want people who choose my game, who say, yes, I want to be, I want to be part of this game, to understand kind of what they're in for. And to sort of picture in their mind a little bit about what the game is going to be. Okay? I could have just said, this is a game about vampires in Atlanta and some stuff happens, so come and play. Well, that won't really do. You know, I, I wrote it like a TV guide blurb so that you would, you know, get the basic inf- information, but also sort of get excited about maybe wanting to play this. Because you can think in terms of, wow, I can see my you know, vampire character in the midst of all this civil disorder. So I'm not going to have to be as worried about the masquerade as I might normally be. I can be a little wild, you know, there's going to be fighting. There's going to be action at the same time. There's this plot where, gosh, I actually care about another vampire. That's like pretty amazing. Like that's not something that happens very often. So, you know, you're motivated to help, the coterie and help yourself and help Dr. Beckworth. Anyway, moving right along, the important stuff about that blurb is that it's open-ended, but it's not too out there. You know, you can sort of sense that there's definitely a boundary. I mean, it's not going to be a world spanning trip. You're not going to be going to Boston. You know, you're not going to be taking a trip into California. It's all going to be set in Atlanta. The action is going to be taking place. And probably since civil disorder typically doesn't take, I mean, it's not a long period of time. In fact, I give a time deadline of the dawn in the title of the thing. I do that on purpose because I want there to be a sense of drama. And I want there to be a time limitation, if not... A space limitation. So, um, you know, that's just this one particular scenario. Okay. But I set the stakes immediately. I key the action right away. And I keep everybody going. And I give people a reason to start in a group together. Not just we meet in the bar. We're the coterie of the Purple Lily. You know, and maybe the Purple Lily is a bar and you can go into that and you can explain why you all hang out at this one bar and maybe somebody lives underneath it and maybe somebody lives in the apartment above it. You know, we're, we're talking about like setting up a group. And because you are setting this up for yourself for your one shot game, you're going to be creating all the characters. That's the concept. Now, there are sometimes people who decide they're going to create their own characters um, at the at the game itself. And I know for a fact that this is something that a lot of people who play... Um, I know that for a fact that in Deliria, there is kind of a sense of, oh, we have to, we have to generate the characters right there. And, and that may be true. But for me, I like to have all my characters generated ahead of time. Here's how I'd prepare for this game. I'd make up the coterie. The coterie would probably be about be about six characters. Um, there would probably be three females and three males. Why is this? Well, first of all, 
in vampire, you know, gender is not as important. Uh, there are very feminine and very masculine women. Uh, you know, vampires. Vampires don't really care what gender you are. When all is said and done, they just want your blood. Well, um, so, I mean, I, I like having a balance in the game. And even if I'm not going to have three women playing in my game, I might just go ahead and create three female characters and offer the person who's playing the character a chance to switch the character's gender if they don't like that character's gender the way it's written. Now, if I'm having a lot of time ahead of time to prepare, I might actually come up with 12 characters, uh, six men and six, six women, which will make make it basically sort of balanced out and allow me to have characters that are designed from the ground up to be the gender that they are. Next step is during the character creation, what I'm going to do is balance out the characters so that each character has a special role to serve. And the way you do that is you have to think about what kind of scenes that character is going to have and put that information in the character. You know, I know, for example, that there's going to be a, a scene where they're going to have to get from point A to point B in Atlanta during a riot. So what do I give them? I give them maybe a Ventru who has a Humvee, okay? The Humvee is going to be able to get them wherever they need to go. And the Ventru is going to have a drive skill of, like, four. So he can drive that Humvee wherever they need to go. Um, another thing is there's going to be a character who is more of a social character, who has sort of a, an ability to understand subtle cues, and that will be the person who will deal with the high society aspects of the game, dealing with the Camarilla, dealing with the Elysium, um, talking to the prince, perhaps even, um, that kind of thing. I'll have a character that is going to be on the magical side of things, maybe a Tremere or maybe somebody who has thaumaturgy that does, that probably shouldn't. Um, and, I'm going to give that character some magical knowledge and also some, you know, hints of what's going on behind the scenes of the story, like the fact that Professor, that Dr. Beckworth is a scholar of Aramaic and he actually uncovered a copper bound book with Aramaic writing on it that has like de a, a demonologist sort of aspect to it, has sort of a you know, a cult sort of aspect to it. And that's part of why the Inquisition of the, Cam of the Camarilla has uh, sort of found out about him is that he's published works about this particular document and they know what it is. So, okay, so we've got our Ventru badass driver. We've got our social climber person. We've got our magic person. What else do we need? Well, we need a kick butt guy. Okay. Or a girl, a bruja, perhaps somebody who is just a street fighter, you know, who can kick ass with us with maybe a chain. Maybe he, maybe she's got chains wrapped around her. She's got hidden weapons. She's got a gun, 
you know, maybe she's got one of those Ruger Red Hawk guns that goes boom, you know, and she's totally into her weapons and she's, you know, but maybe, you know, give her kind of a cool side as well. Make her into, maybe she's a, uh, maybe she's in a band and she has a, um, you know, she has a really cool singing voice. Um, that would be another reason why she hangs out around these other sort of high society types is that maybe she's in a band or maybe she's an artist. You know, she could be a brand new pop artist who's, you know, really, you know, kind of a punk sculpture. Maybe she's really good at welding. Who knows? At any rate, suffice it to say, she's the kick-ass person. So we have... uh, So who do we have left? Well, this is where it gets interesting because... What we really need is somebody who is going to be able to sort of get secrets and come up with clues. So maybe we have an Osferatu who is, and we're going to have to give that Osferatu the ability to sort of put on um, different guises. They're going to have to have a high obfuscate. But, you know, have an Osferatu that we can tap into the secrets of the city and also get around, get into places, break, breaking and entering, that kind of thing. So we've got the Ventru guy with the Hummer. We've got the high society person. We've got the magic person. We've got the kick-ass person. And we've got the secrets person. We've got one more person left because it's a six-person game. So what's the sixth person going to be, Sam? Well, I think at this point I'd like to put in a wild card. Somebody who can feel, fill in the spaces that other people don't. You know, there's no problem with duplicating some roles, but makes this person, this person is going to be kind of like a leader, kind of like a sort of a tie all together kind of person, and maybe give them some unique abilities that nobody else has. Like, for example, I mean, I'm thinking right off the top of my head, let's give them a Ravnos, okay? And the Ravnos has illusionary powers, so that's going to come in handy. The Ravnos is very charming, but maybe he has like a lot of prestation in the city. He's very well respected, even among the like high society types. But at the same time, the Anarchs respect him, so he's kind of like a Spike character, um, or maybe um, Gun from Angel. You know, he's he's kind of you know both sides of the fence. People like him; they expect they respect him. Um, and he has secret ties. You know, he has ties to the gypsies. He has ties to the fae, you know, or something like that. There's little things that we can slip in there. We don't want to go too far off the beaten path, but there you go. So we've got six characters. And I did that by thinking about the kind of roles that we're going to need for the for the game. Now, it's true. Here's the story. It's true that... The person who plays the high society type is going to be bored if we don't give them something to balance out because their part of the story is at the beginning and maybe at the end of the story. So we get to give them something. Maybe we'll give them a computer, a laptop with a like geostationary satellite internet uplink so that person can do a lot of searching and that sort of thing on the network when everybody else is doing other stuff. Um... What else do we have to balance out? We have to balance out the fact that the Ventru guy is just kind of a guy with a truck, right? So we'll talk about him. Maybe we'll give him some survival skills. Maybe give him a platinum gold, uh, you know, a platinum uh, credit card because he's the rich guy. Um, Maybe let him have a, you know, 
maybe let him have a uh, give him a big gun he can fill in his muscle uh make him the more uh instead of the like brute force guy he's the like melee weapon maybe he has a sword cane maybe he has a gun and he's really good at it he's a he's like a marksman you know who knows but that will balance him out the magic guy we can give him all kinds of things to balance him out the nosferatu no problem because the nosferatu can get you into anything disable locks you know find out secrets you know uh coordinate the homeless whatever all right, so these guys are all together, and they all are a coterie, and they kick ass, they take names already before we start the game. And that's the important part. You have to feel like you're empowered. You have something you can do. You're, you're going to be you know thrown into the story from the very beginning, and you're going to go forward from there. Now, to prep for the game, what I would do is create all these characters, and I would write down all the special rules for them, you're not going to have to look up anything. You're not going to have to use any books. Everything will be the, right there on your character sheet. I'll create character packets. I will perhaps do like what Storn uh, suggests over in Sons of Cryos, a, a, a relationship map. So that the players can tell, like, okay, this is how we are in the whole city. You know, this is how we are among ourselves. And give them an idea. Okay, who hates who? Who likes who? What factions are there? just to give them an idea of what's going on. That kind of thing, when you hand it to players, you may never use it, you may never ever touch it, but when you can hand it to somebody, they suddenly feel as though, okay, something is going on. This person knows what they're doing, okay? And they, they start to relax right away. So, you know, be prepared. Have your maps, have your visual aids, Maybe get some pictures from a magazine, because if you're, if you're playing vampire, you can definitely go that route. You know, you can go to Glamour magazines or punk rock magazines or whatever and get pictures of people. If you're a good artist, then you can get art, you, know, you can do your own art for those things. But whatever, you get your packets together and then bring them to the game. Before the game, prep yourself. You know, make sure you have a good night's sleep ahead of time. I don't care. If you're at a convention, especially, you really need to you know, decide, am I here to game? If I am here to game, then I need to get rest the night before. Um, you know, spend some time, you know, save some time for yourself later for partying. But, you know, you owe it to your gamers to show up sober and ready to game. Okay. Um, when you're handing out characters, take a leaf from the Sons of Cryos fellows. Uh, Jeff and Judd talk about how they were handing out characters and they sort of introduce the characters in a way that, you know, might get people interested. What I would do is I, I would say, okay, I have this guy. He's like a real hulking Vontru guy, wears Armani suits. He's got a nine millimeter, you know, gold plated nine millimeter. He's really high, you know, fashion. He's got a giant Humvee, um, you know, and he's a driver. He, he loves to drive. Um, and then I've got this beautiful, young, you know, supermodel who's in consulting now, who, you know, has her own business and, you know, lives in a skyscraper where she also works. And, you know, she's a beautiful, glowing, you know, Toreador woman who also has the ear of the prince, you know, if necessary, or, 
you know, can throw in some of her influence from time to time to get things done. Um, and I have a magic person. And I go on and I would say, you know, go down the roll and say, these are what these characters are and, and give people a chance to know about them and be, and then say, okay, and make sure everybody looks at the sheets and agrees among themselves because the worst possible thing you can have in a game is for people to be arguing among themselves as to what kind of, you know, character they have and whether they like their character or not. So also you'll find that players who are, you know, players can be a lot more um, perspicacious than you when you're creating a character because you're, if you're creating six characters or 12 characters, you're going to be going through a lot of decisions and you might make a mistake and players will tell you, they'll say, look, this person has too many points of brawl, you know, it shouldn't have that many points. So what do you want to do? Do you want to keep it that way or what? You know, agree to whatever changes they suggest because really there's no, this is a one shot game. So even if they are cheating or if they are, you know, doing something weird, even if, if you say yes, the the thing is you can get to the game faster and why does it matter? You know, whether or not somebody has Thaumaturgy 3 or Thaumaturgy 4, you know, it might matter to some extent, but who cares? You know, all right. So that person, you know, that may be wrong. If it's a real mistake, catch it, update the character sheet for the next time. But don't worry about these kind of changes. If somebody doesn't like somebody's name, don't, you know, don't say, oh, you can't change their name. Just let, just go with it, you know, let them sort of personalize the character a little bit and go forward. That's why sometimes I'll even leave people's names off and I'll say, um, you know, you get to name the person. Not all the time, but sometimes. But I want them to at least feel some kind of investment in the character. Now, when you sit down to run the game, realize that you have to keep the game moving. In a, in a one-shot game, you have that timer always ticking. And the most frustrating thing in the world is to get interested in a game and then, you know, four hours go by and nothing happens. You know, nothing is done. Nothing is settled. That's really frustrating. It can make you crazy. So don't do it. Don't do it to your players. Don't do it to yourself. Keep the game moving. Having said that, you need to take breaks while you're in game. Four to six hours is a long time to sit there. You have biological needs. Pay attention to them. While you're on break, review what happened, review what you're going to do next. Think about that, maybe listen to some inspiring music. I always do. It helped me a great deal. Gets me focused. Okay. While you're running the game, watch for ball hogs. What's a ball hog? Somebody who has to steal the spotlight all the time. You can redirect that person, talk to them. You can sort of get them on your side. Sometimes... There's just no way you have to just sort of cope with them or just start ignoring them. I would hate for you to have to do that, but if it's that person's pleasure or the game as a whole surviving, I would I would go with the game as a whole. Watch for slow spots. There's going to be slow spots during combat especially, but you can encourage people to roll both their attack and their damage rolls together. You can move things along, even to the point where... You can say, okay, if you don't respond within a certain period of time, what you've got is, you know, you're standing there, your day is and confused. Go on to the next person in the initiative. Move forward, whatever you do, and don't look for rules. Don't stop 
and say, I've got to look up a rule because it's that the time for that is done. It's passed. Make up a rule, wing it, go forward. Okay. Finally, deliver on your promises. Basically, if I have this game that I described at the beginning of the segment and I turn it into a game about werewolves, everybody at the table is going to be disappointed. So keep to your promises. You know, I'm going to show you, with in this game, I'm going to show you Atlanta on fire again, okay? I'm going to show you crowds of people rioting and breaking things in the streets. I'm going to show you this you know, elaborate neck, uh, ritual setup that the Inquisition has gotten to hang your mentor in this atrium where the sun is going to come over the top of the building and it's going to pierce the glass roof of this building and destroy him, okay? And, and, and you have a time limit and that sun is going to come up and boom, he's going to be dead, okay? So you've got to get moving. I'm going to give you that drama. I'm going to let you enjoy the game. I'm going to I'm going to give your I'm going to give the guy with a truck a chance to drive up a, you know, uh, a staircase onto, you know, into a mall, maybe through a window. You know, I'm going to give the the guy with magic wep- magic uh powers a chance to use his magic powers, maybe even a chance to even like summon a demon or capture a demon or destroy a demon. Um, I'm going to give the high society person a chance to, you know, pull their influence, call this on the cell phone, get a media, uh, get some media to like leave, like, you know, send some reporters packing. I'm going to give the guy with, um, I'm going to give the Bruja a, a big kick-butt fight, okay? The Bruja, the Ventru, everybody with a gun is going to get a chance to use their gun. Um, I'm going to give the Nosferatu, he's going to have, man, all the concepts of, you know, getting, breaking and entering. He's going to know all these secrets, and I'm going to have him even roll from time to time just to see, you know, did he pick up this secret uh, randomly, you know? Um, I'm going to have him know stuff that, Nobody else knows. And maybe he keeps it to himself. Maybe he doesn't. You know, that's kind of... The plot won't hinge on it, but he'll know. And he'll just have that sort of... I'm sort of sneaky kind of feel to him. Anyway, everybody's going to get their uh, time in the spotlight. Everybody's going to get their story. And we're going to have a good story. And I'm going to deliver on my promises that I gave in that blurb. Okay? Now... Don't forget about one shots. The thing about one shots is you can find great gamers at a one shot, even at a convention. And when once you find them, you're not going to want to lose them. I mean, it's not a transitory thing. Hand them your gamers introduction card. You don't have a gamers introduction card. You need to get one. Um, they're very easy. You can buy you know business cards and print them out on your laser printer or whatever. You can do whatever you want, but. I would advise you to get a gamer's introduction card with your name, your the games you like, and an email address or some other non-private means of getting a hold of you. Um, I always give a small prize in my games because I like to encourage role-playing. You don't have to, but I always like to. Um, also, if somebody asks you for a copy of a PC, that means they really like the character. So I always carry extra copies of my PCs that I create because I want people to be able to have their character when they take it home. Um, I want them to be able to go home and even if they never use that character in another game, they can look at it and go, wow, 
You know, that's when I played this person, you know, who had a sword cane, you know, that would be really cool. Um, so wrapping up just to finish this one segment, um, one shot games are a lot of fun. You can take them, you can run with them. I would encourage you to do the work, have a couple of one shot games already finished and put them on the shelf and that way, the next time there's an opportunity for you to game with a small group of people, you have something available. You can say, well, I can run this one shot. Um, it's called To Dance Upon the Dawn. It's about vampires. And people immediately get into, oh, wow, vampires. And you have this game, and it's right there. And there's no character generation. You just hand the characters out, and you go. Um, it's a, one of the really coolest ways to go. So I hope you get a chance to do it. And let me know how your one shot games go. Thanks so much. Next up, we have the Storyteller's Circle, um, Urban Fantasy. International detective dragons from outer space. I never look at the big picture because I can't stand watching horror movies. I try to avoid sitting here thinking of what to say next. I like to make it off the cuff, spontaneous. It doesn't work. <laughs> all I want now, and all I ever really wanted ever since I was a little kid, is total omnipotence. Is that too much to ask? I could even get out on a limb of wild speculation. I know, pretty odd thing to do for this podcast. I can fit your brain in a hollow pea, I swear. That's just two clear cuts, two black and white. It's all point of view, don't you understand? It's point of view. Oh, man, every other podcast is better than mine. <laughs> That's enough. Whining time is over. No doubt, if you were paying attention, you detected a minor tinge of paranoia. But this is supposed to be fun. I'm supposed to be doing this for fun. And if it means exhibiting false enthusiasm, I'm not above that. So I'm just going to apologize now and let's move on. So what specifically are you worried about, Adam? You would probably want to grab me around the neck with your arm and pull my head off. Did that make any sense? Well, welcome to the Storyteller's Circle. Today we're going to talk about a kind of story in a genre called the urban fantasy. And urban fantasy is a relatively new genre. Charles DeLint started it, I believe, although that's probably something of great um, uh, argument. Uh, but the one that I remember, the first one I ever read was something called Moonheart, and that was by Charles DeLint, and it was very cool. But, you know, there's been a lot of other writers in the genre, and lately it's become more and more prevalent. So I thought I'd talk about it. Now, in an urban fantasy setting, in a game... We have a bunch of different things about about the urban fantasy setting. The great thing about urban fantasy is that it brings with it a familiarity. You know, I can tell you right away that you're going into a movie theater, and you know what that is. If I talk about the Vault of the Drow, you may you may not actually know what that looks like. I I might have to describe it to you. But if I say you go into a movie theater, everybody knows what that looks like, and and. You can smell the popcorn. You can feel the sticky floor. You know, you can hear the projector going. You know, it's not hard. So it's very familiar. That makes it more compelling. In addition, with the magical aspects of urban fantasy, you can draw contrasts between the spiritual and the mundane, the mysterious and the normal. Um, you can imbue things with a sense of wonder, a sense of mystery, a sense of horror even, because... Um, 
where does horror come from? It comes from a sense of familiarity, like like everything is, is as it should be, and then suddenly it isn't. And you don't know why it isn't. You just know that something is wrong. That's horror. You know, that's terror. It starts to get scarier and scarier after that. What's behind the door? Have no idea. But something wild is behind the door. Something out of control is behind the door. But we don't know what it is, so... Um, you know, that's part of urban fantasy. We don't really know what's going on. You know, it could be that the she lords are riding to battle in the backyard, or it could be a locomotive. You know, we have no idea, but it's back there. And so that's what's going on. Um, at any rate, urban fantasy is very good about that. They, it, it allows me to draw images in people's minds very easily, set things up, and then sort of take the magical knob and sort of turn it very slowly up. Because you don't want to go too fast. You don't want to go too far up. Um, The bad points of urban fantasy is that it's frequently overdone. People don't really... Sometimes people don't really realize the point when they cross over between just a plain fantasy and urban fantasy. Um, And there's nothing wrong with plain fantasy. Don't get me wrong. But to me, urban fantasy has to be more plausible. You know, it has to be plausible up to a point. Um, I have to have questions as to what the story is going on. What's happening is it really magic? Is it not? You know, I have to have paranoia about that. I have to have some disbelief about it. You know, that's not, there's no way that that sword could have levitated off the wall. It just fell. Okay. I mean, there's a logical explanation for everything, right? And I like that. I want to keep that reality as long as we possibly can. Because the moment you step over the threshold into unreality, that's when the, 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 the lid is blown off and you can have the bad parts of urban fantasy get, in, get involved. And that is to say, you know, everything is frequently overdone. There's too many magical creatures, too much magic crap going on. Every time somebody sneezes, it's something magical. Um, you know, it's just too over the top, too radical, too silly. I mean, diagonally, boom, that's it. You know, it's, it's wacky. Okay. There's magical crap everywhere and people and magical people walking around and, you know, that's, that's Harry Potter. That's wonderful. It's fantasy. It's not urban fantasy in my opinion. Okay. So, uh, also there's this tendency for the juxtaposition between the fantastic and the modern to cause there to be a silliness. It's just silly. It just seems weird. It seems silly. It makes you laugh. It makes you giggle. Anything that makes you giggle inappropriately is probably not a good thing. Um, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem with humor. I like humor. But I don't like ridiculousness. You know, there's a point at which you can push it past 10, to past 11. Um, and that's what I don't want. So, my advice. Take it slow. Turn that knob up to 10 slowly. Or not even, don't even go up to 10. Go up to 8. Add the magic very sparingly. Think of it as a priceless spice that you can't ever get back. So, you know, and you don't want to overdo it because it'll ruin the, ruin the meal. But 
Just pour a little bit on, a little bit here, a little bit there. Go slowly, okay? Never cross over 100%, because at the point which you cross over 100% into fantasy, what you've got is a fantasy story. It's no longer an urban fantasy. Okay, always be reintroducing the mundane. Even after you cross over a little bit, even after you have the fairy prince show up and be all glowy and glamorous and cool, then turn around and have a janitor come through the hallway mopping up. You know, who doesn't even know what all this is about. Just doesn't even understand it. You know, have a cabbie drive by, you know. Have something happen that's mundane, just normal. There's no magic to it. It's just, just take it back to the mundane. You know, the magical hero gets back after, you know, dealing with the, with the evil uh, unseely court. And they open the door and they close the door and they lock the door and they turn the light on and it won't come on and it must be something magical, right? No. There's a note on the door that says that the power company cut you off because you haven't paid your bill. That's reintroducing the mundane. That's bringing things back to reality so that, and it's hitting people in the face with the fact that, okay, this is not the fantasy world. This is the real world. Also, that illustrates another point. Don't make every strange occurrence a mystical one. You know, mix it up a bit. If it's strange, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's some sort of magical thing going on. It's not like, you know, they're always out to get you. And even if they are, um, you can play with people's minds a little bit because that's the nature of the game. Okay. Urban fantasy, you don't know 100% of what's going on. All you know is what you can see, right? What you understand yourself. And so it's my suggestion that you keep it plausible. There's no dragons on 52nd Street flying along. There's no wizards on television. You know, make it plausible. Make it real. Um, This is all my, just my opinion. I mean, there's plenty of other fantasy stories that totally throw these rules out the window. But I'm telling you, as far as from my experience, this is the best way for me to run an urban fantasy story. Um, and, and I've had some great experiences and and had some great gaming by doing this. Okay. You know, I'm going to have to come up with a list of urban fantasy stories that I really like and give them to you. And, uh, I will do that. So that's pretty much it. And I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. Adventure, the roll monkeys, excitement, the roll monkeys, live RPG sessions as they happen. The Roll Monkeys. Set your course for intrigue and action. Larger-than-life characters defeat danger and laugh at peril. Go to www.harpingmonkey.com and find out what happens next. Well, I have to give a shout-out to my friends, my new friends, Dante and Cobweb. They gave me some really excellent feedback. Um, They were telling me that they basically, I mean, they wrote me a very long email and I can't read the whole thing. It's just going to take too long. But the suffice it to say, what they were talking about is they were saying, look, Sam, you know, you really shouldn't just write the old, the new world of darkness off. And you shouldn't do it just because there's no Malkavians, you know, or, and by the way, there are Malkavians in the new world of darkness. They're just a bloodline. Okay. I know they're just a bloodline. 
I find that insulting to a certain extent to Malkavians, but I'll get over that. And I have to respond that, you know, yeah, you're right. You know, I really shouldn't just judge the new world of darkness by my initial impressions that I got just picking up the book. And I should judge it only after I've had a chance to play in the games or run the games. Uh, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon, but because of this email, I've decided that if I get a chance to play in a New World of Darkness game, I will do so. Um, I also want to throw in there that I did listen for a time to the Domain of Apocalypse uh, when they were talking about their mage game, and that was a New World of Darkness game, and I rather liked it. I rather liked the description of the actual, actual play that went on, and that was fun. So um, maybe, you know, maybe there's something to this, Dante and Cobwebs. I, I really wish that I could just tell you that I'll go right out and buy those books or accept the gift that you offered, which was really sweet, that they were offering to actually buy me books. It's not the question that I need the books or that I, you know, wouldn't. Uh... Basically, it's just a question of the fact that I don't really have a gaming group right now that I could play it with. And I'm not likely to sink money into a game system for anything else these days, but the indie games that I'm really interested in, because I kind of feel like, well, I don't know, just because I'd rather spend my money first on those. And then I'll come back to maybe one day I'll come back to new world of darkness and I'll buy those books. But for now, this is my story. This is I'll stick to it. But I really appreciate the uh, the heads up, and I will definitely give a chance if there's a time at DragonCon, for example, where I can play in a New World of Darkness game. Then we'll do that. Okay. Um, thanks very much again for the feedback. And if you're interested in giving feedback, wow, you could do so. I would not at all be a, be have any problems with that. Okay. If you want to give me some feedback, you're welcome to do so. And here's a couple of ways to do so. Number one, you can go to our website. And on the website, there's all these different ways to get a hold of me. Bearsgrove.com is the website. Okay. And, and it's a blog. So you can go there and you can comments on the blog if you like. Alternatively, you may wish to go to uh, your phone. And call a long-distance phone number. That number is 206-202-3275. Now, does this mean that I'm in Washington? No. This means I use k7.net for free voicemail. And uh, I just hope that all everybody who sends me voicemail is going to do so from a phone that has, like, unlimited long-distance calling plan. Um... If you don't, then don't call. You know, I don't want you to spend money on this. Um, at any rate, you can also record a voicemail to me and just email it to me. My email address is bearsgrove at gmail.com. Or just send me an email like Dante and Cobwebs did. I'm good with that, too. Also, we have forums. Gosh, forums. Forums.bearsgrove.com or forum.bearsgrove.com. It doesn't matter which. They're both the same. It's a BB Press version of a forum. So you can go in there. You can log on. 
I give just about everybody who logs on a custom forum name, you know? So, hey, that might be some uh, good incentive for you to get on. At any rate, I really appreciate some of the people who have posted there already. Um, and I'd love to see you post some more. Every episode has a little post up there saying, okay, how do we do with this episode? So if you have feedback about a specific episode, you can go ahead and do that. I really appreciate the feedback, and thanks so much. Finally, we have the end of the story, the end of the game, the end of the podcast. Bears Grove is done for this time. Number 30 is in the can. And I would love to thank Capera Publishing for their generous sponsorship of this program. Without them, well, without them, I wouldn't have a sponsor this week. And that's great. And I really, really appreciate it. And all of you should go over to Capera Publishing, and if you'd like, you should buy their lovely games, especially uh, The Godsend Agenda. And while you're at it, if you want to know what The Godsend Agenda is like, you can go over to the Roll Monkeys podcast, which is on the Harping Monkey website. That's harpingmonkey.com. And they've been playing Godsend Agenda. And they record it, and you can listen to it. And it's a lot of listening time. But hey, what's your commute for anyway? Listening to podcasts. So, you know, get yourself an MP3 player, download the files, plug it into your car stereo, drive down the road, enjoy role-playing. That's all I've got to say. That will be a wonderful thing for you. Okay. Um, so this, this program is sponsored by Capera Publishing, and I really appreciate them. Uh, so let's see what else. Ah, we are a Creative Commons. We are releasing to you under a Creative Commons license 2.5 attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to bring this podcast to you and links to all of the stuff that I talk about here will be in the show notes. I promise it might take a little while, but they'll be there. So uh, keep checking back, and thanks so much for listening. And pretty much all I've got left to say is have sweet dreams when you get them. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.